Subcutanean. This is a novel that changes for every new reader. No two copies are ever quite the same. This podcast is an unabridged recording of the version generated by Seed 01893. Part 3. Manifold Wise. A quotation from Ode of Wit by Abraham Cowley. Some things do through our judgment pass as through a multiplying glass. And sometimes, if the object be too far, we take a falling meteor for a star. Chapter 16 Hunger woke me, finally rising to the top of my list of needs. Getting back on top of the cylinder had been a problem of broken physics. We couldn't just climb back up because there was nothing heavy enough to grip. Maybe a master climber could have started from the bottom of a giant tube of carpet and made his way to the top, but even for Nico, climbing had only ever been a fleeting hobby. I'd managed to pull myself up to the top of the rope on the last of my shredded muscles and shoved my arms into the gap between the bed and the floor, dangling by my armpits. Nico, farther up, worked out a plan. I wasn't too coherent, but I gather he carefully scoped out a route from one piece of furniture to the next, and then, in what would have been the most viral parkour video ever if YouTube had been invented yet, leapt from one to the other, pushing off each one as his weight lifted it off the ground, till, gasping, he scrambled up to the top of the tube. From there, it was simply a matter of detaching the chandelier net from its anchor point at the base of the hallway floating above us. I never would have thought of this, but Nico figured all those glass baubles together ought to weigh more than we did, that the chandelier web, part of the confusion, should follow its own gravitational rules, not the ones that dragged us downwards. Like a cloth thrown over a crystal ball, the detached net would wrap around the curvature of the bedroom tube, with both of us inside but not heavy enough to pull it free. We'd be able to crawl back around to the top, ants between the cloth and the glass. It worked. There must have been some complicated gymnastics up there, and I'm fuzzy on how he got the net loose. Maybe he had his own serrated knife. But it worked. Back on top, the net of glass now a glittering ceiling over the bedroom furniture, like the world's most fabulous couch fort. I thought nothing in the world had ever felt so good as lying on my back on a floor, every muscle gloriously unclenched. Wedged in between two dressers so as not to roll off the edge, we slept. His idea. When we woke, we ate power bars from Nico's pack. My own had gotten lost somewhere in the fight, probably sliding off the curve and down into the darkness below. I had no idea where to go from here, although it seemed like there were only two options, one way down the tube or the other. But Nico had found a better option while he'd been scrambling around up top. Directly under the invisible anchor point of the densest part of the web, the chandelier itself, was a trap door. It opened downward with a creak when you pushed on it, releasing fold-up stairs like the ones that sometimes climb into attics. The stairs descended some fifteen feet to a cement floor bisecting the cylinder. Its upper half was a domed tunnel, vanishing into the distance in either direction. Bare bulbs hung from the roof every fifty feet or so, leaking dim puddles of yellow-orange glow. Water ran down the center in a foot-deep trench, fast enough to gurgle. Nico thought we should head upstream, follow the water to its source. Too worn down to argue, I agreed. Keeping to the level ground on either side of the trench, we started trudging. We moved slowly. Nico had cleaned up the cut in my lower leg as best he could, surprisingly tender, bandaging it with some socks from a dresser drawer and a tight-wrapped bungee cord from his pack. But it hurt, a lot. I hobbled more than walked, had to stop for frequent breaks, or lean on him for support. He helped me without comment when I needed it. I couldn't help notice, especially up close to him like that. He seemed to have all his fingers. Unsaid things festered between us. The tunnel had no perceptible slope, but the water in the trench ran fast, rushing eagerly ahead. The path curved gently left, then gently right. We walked for what felt like a long time. 
Gradually, the perfect curve of the ceiling began to straighten. The ceiling got flatter, the top of the wall's curve more sharp, until it squared off entirely. At the same time, the tunnel gradually shrunk back to house-sized dimensions. Presently, we were walking down a rectangular hall of concrete like some forgotten sub-basement in a shuttered factory. It felt like we were back inside again. The sensation of being inside a pipe suspended over empty space had slowly receded, and now we felt once again embedded in earth. There were no side doors, no other trap doors up. There were no decisions to make. We just walked. Other than an occasional grunt or word of coordination, we didn't talk. I sometimes saw him looking at me out of the corner of my eye, but I couldn't look back. A small part of me wanted to ask a million questions. Another part didn't want the answers. There was a tautness between us, a strain, like a handshake stripped down to bone and gristle, rubbing, raw. I realized maybe it had been there a long time, underneath everything we'd each wrapped around it. Mostly, we were just too tired for talking. Up ahead, the tunnel opened into a larger room. After a few more minutes of trudging, we reached it. It was a vaulted brick antechamber, maybe 30 feet across and hexagonal, with tunnels coming in from all six sides. Each seemed identical to the one we'd entered from. Water flooded the sunken floor of the room and ran out the trenches in the center of each tunnel. In the middle of the room, under the water, was a rounded concrete pillar with a large metal hatchway topped with a wheel, like something you'd see on a submarine. I knew before checking that the hatch would have a keyhole. Once we confirmed it did, we were strangely hesitant, as if we'd lost our momentum. We perched on the lip of a tunnel, dangling our feet in the water, using the excuse that we needed a rest. There was so much I should be asking him, so much I should be saying, but I couldn't find a way to start. Well, I had pretended nothing was wrong for such a long time. Maybe another few minutes wouldn't hurt. The rippling sounds of the water were peaceful, and I didn't want to break the silence, but someone had to. So, the sound bounced off the vaulted brick above us. I coughed. We've come all this way. We going through or what? The words seemed to shake him out of a daze, and he perked up, flashing a huge grin. Hell yeah, let's do it. Let's go home. We waded over to the hatchway. The wheel and lock were just under the surface of the water. I pulled the key from my pocket and slipped it into the lock, and it went in smoothly. I spun it through a full turn till it made a tiny chunk, then turned the wheel. After spinning it around, something gave and we found we could swing the circular hatch open along one hinged side. We held our glow sticks underwater near the opening. The hatch opened into an ordinary-looking but flooded room beneath us with a yellow-tiled floor. Chrome and porcelain rippled up at us. We realized after a moment it was a flooded bathroom. The other guys are probably doing the same thing on their side, Nico said hopefully. Maybe we'll swim through at exactly the same time, go past each other. You really think we're still in sync after everything that's happened? Our doubles just defeated their own evil Nico with exactly the same strategy and ended up here at precisely the same time as us? He shrugged lightly. Might as well believe that, because if we don't, and, uh, there's no way back, that would kind of suck. We don't even know if this goes anywhere, I said. For all we know, there's a mile of flooded tunnel down there before it mirrors back to our world, if it ever does. You know what would suck more? Drowning. No, look, he said, with a sudden grin, thrusting his light deeper into the circular opening. There's a guide rope. I squinted, trying to make the wavering underwater shapes resolve. Tied to something just under the hatchway, a light fixture, maybe, was a climbing rope, the same kind we'd tied our grapple buddies to. It stretched down in a taut line out of sight towards the hidden wall of the room beneath us. Nico reached down to tug on it. It seemed firm. A hundred feet at most, he said. Probably way less. Just follow the rope. He pulled off his shirt and started emptying his pockets. What are you doing? I asked, strangely unsettled. 
No time like the present, he said. Might as well get it over with. Come on in, the water's fine. Something was wrong again. The dark circle of the submerged porthole was ominously black, unknown. This was happening way too fast. I don't know. Shit, what if something happens down there? What if one of us gets stuck or needs help? We could fucking drown. My mind was racing. It felt like riding a bike that kept slipping gears, nothing quite fitting together, accelerating down a hill with less and less control, no way to stop it. Let's just do it, Nico said brightly. I mean, the sooner we go through, the sooner we'll be home. How did you even know this was here? My throat tightened. His eyes widened. No, I can't do this again. Why won't any of you be honest with me? Stop it. I know. I know. You're not... You're not really... Somewhere far below us, something groaned, low, immense. The ground quivered like a subterranean mountain turning over in its sleep, and the surface of the water pinched and jittered in sympathy. And just as this happened, Nico reached up, eyes wide, and touched two fingers to my lips, made a zipping motion across them. I was shocked into silence by it all, the sound, the absurdity of the gesture, his fingers on my lips, the fear on his face. Don't he said, quiet. Please. We both took a breath. You have to trust me, Orion. Everything will work out for us, everything, but you have to trust me, now, here, about this if nothing else. The rumbling receded. The water smoothed out. He took another breath, seemed to notice his fingers were still touching my lips, pulled them back, stared at them. And as his eyes flicked back to mine, I saw something there I'd never seen no matter how much I'd wanted to. Something hot and desperate, yearning, vulnerable. Something that rippled in the space between us, flickered and grew, a mass, almost a shape. And I understood. The finger, lying cold on the carpet inches from my eye, the world texture of his fingerprints. I'll hunt that bitch down and kill him. Again. How easily he'd found the trapdoor led us straight here to the way back through, how sure he was about what I'd find on the other side. And the way he'd fought for me, the way he'd been looking at me. He wasn't my Nico. The ground groaned again beneath us, more dangerous this time. A brick fell from somewhere above, made a splash loud enough to make us both flinch. But we didn't break eye contact. Don't say it, he breathed. Synchronicity. I felt like we were balanced on an impossibly heavy pivot, a mountain peak turned upside down. If we leaned too far in any direction, two soap bubbles pressed together, floating in a vast empty void, trembling. Somehow we were closer than we'd been a moment before. The curves of his jaw, his cheek, were aches inside me, blood-memorized, bone-familiar. The air around us held its breath. Where the water touched my knees, it thrummed. His lips were too close to mine, it would be so easy. It would last forever, like dying winter sunlight slanting into a room through melting icicles, lighting it up, setting fire to the neurons that had always struggled to keep truths and fictions apart, and burning them away forever, every universe fading away like stage lights until the spotlight of that kiss would be the only thing left, the possible I'd always wanted made real at last. I want to, I breathed. Then do it. The need in his eyes was almost too bright to bear. I shook my head. Not that. I want to trust you. He blinked. Then do that. But I pulled back, biting my lip, and his brow creased with worry. Can't you? I wanted to laugh, 
trust? Could we trust each other? The question unraveled into a million strands, tendrils stretching back through everything that had happened down here, and everything that had happened before that, back to the first time we met, and much, much earlier. Trust. What a beautiful, fucked-up, irrational concept. He kept his gaze locked on mine. I tried to see him, really see him. I willed the layers of muck and confusion between us to pull back, to clear away and reveal someone at last who I could understand. The Nico who forgave me, the Nico I'd hurt, the Nikos I'd saved, damned, slept with, the ones who needed me, who hated me, who wanted me dead, the one I'd tried so hard to find, looked everywhere for, down here, up there, inside us both and beyond possibility. Each of them were tales disguised as truths, worlds that I yearned to slip into like tailored gloves, sized just right. Stories reassuring me that I finally understood what I deserved, good or bad, where I belonged and who I belonged to, and who belonged to me. Where I didn't have to be alone in a dark bedroom anymore, with no one who loved me to tuck me in, too afraid to fall asleep. But people don't wrap up like that into nice little cages, contained. We weren't each other's stories. He wasn't the Nico I wanted. None of them had been, even if this one thought maybe he could be, was as deluded as I'd been. We'd mistaken shadows for substance, all of us down here. Chased them and failed, of course, to grab them. Become shadows ourselves in failing. But we weren't shadows. We were more than that. We deserved more. Something swayed inside me, as if I'd let go of one handhold and gripped another, shifting my weight even though I wasn't sure the new grip would hold. But by then, I'd already done it, already committed. And it held. It didn't let me fall. I'm going through. I took a deep breath. But it's not because I trust you. He looked alarmed, but I raised a hand. It's okay, let me finish. I don't deserve your trust, and maybe I don't know how to give it to anyone else. But if I have to start somewhere, I should start with myself. And I think I can do this. I trust I can, okay? I made Tiger Shark and Swim Club, and I can hold my breath for three minutes, and I can make it. I can make it through. I can. But, Nico, you can't come with me. Tears sprung like pinpricks to my eyes, but I blinked them back, fierce. You can't come with me. Bullshit, he said, stepping forward, even though I could see he knew I was right, see it and how his face creased with pain. I belong with you. You're double on the other side. An ominous crack sounded from somewhere above us, but he pressed on. He doesn't feel the same way about me. I don't belong with him. The ground dropped out from under us like a plane hitting turbulence. Rumbles quivered in stone far below. Nico, stop, I said, afraid to look away, to even glance at the walls around us as if they could read the truth in our eyes. You can't come through. You know why you can't. I can live with pain, he said, reaching out for me. But I must have looked shocked because his expression changed to placating alarm. No, it's okay. They're just headaches. The pain doesn't matter. It'd be worth it. You're worth it. I'm not. I shook my head, angry, never more certain of anything. You think I could live with myself, putting you through pain like that each day? Everything will be all right, he pleaded, ignoring me. It'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Just let me come through. Let me try. Let me try. And I couldn't bear to see that need in his face reflected back at last after all this time and wondered if he'd seen it too, how sad and jagged and pathetic and painful it was, and how the way I'd hidden it for so long had only made it more of all those things, and I couldn't stand hurting him anymore. And then the words came that we should have said to each other long before, not that any words could fill the gaps inside us, but these were the ones I had, and they were better than nothing, so I said them. I'm not the only one who can love you. 
He stopped dead, face draining of color. The surface of the water twitched, rippled, waiting. I took a long, ragged breath and slowly realized what I'd said was true. He broke our gaze. His eyes fell to the water beneath us like he'd dropped something, watched resigned as it sunk away for good, no longer trying to save it. Guess from your perspective, he said carefully, that should have been my line. Yeah, well, I waved my hand at the architecture around us. Life's got a funny way of fucking everything up. He laughed, sudden and loud, and even if things weren't right, even if the edge between us was jagged and always would be, it was good to hear that laugh again. We breathed. It was settled. So, he said finally, you'll swim through. Pass your other. He swallowed. I nodded. Just my other, not his. And then we'll each be where we should be. His face hardened into a mask as he said this, grim and colorless. Then he looked at me, the corner of his mouth twisting in pain, but also a challenge, flinging some of the pain back. You'll be fine without me, I guess, yeah? It did hurt, like he knew it would. Well, at least we were saying truths to each other. Not quite the same as trust, but a good start. I stripped down to just my jeans, self-conscious, but Nico was spinning a theory about the identical set of clothes I'd find on the other side. If Alter Me was swimming through too, he should have had the same thought, and we'd both have dry shirts and shoes waiting, and wasn't that cool? I wasn't really processing this, still overwhelmed. Trust, pairs of universes pulling apart, drowning, death. Dry clothes seemed like insubstantial details. I tied the glow stick to my belt loop, emptied my pockets of everything non-essential. Oh hey, he said as I did this, affecting it as a casual afterthought. I want you to take something through for me. He pulled a plastic bag from his pocket, folded up pages with something written on them inside. Hold on to it for a while, okay? Just till you get back through. Sure, I took the bag. I suppose I shouldn't read it until... A faint judder rippled through the ground. For an instant, the water danced in interference patterns. He looked pained. Please, please don't. Glancing around, he took a deep breath. Okay, you ready? I wasn't, so I stepped forward and hugged him. Fierce as the roiling lump in my throat. His bare skin, still damp, felt hot against my own. He held me tight, wet curls rubbing against my face. Heat passed between us, but it was the least of what had. We'd loved each other, at times, even if the people we'd loved were mostly in our heads. It was nice, but his curls were tickling my nose, and I pulled back before I meant to, reflecting his surprise at this with embarrassment. For a second, it looked like he thought I was going to kiss him, and then I thought maybe he was thinking of kissing me, and we both stood uncertain for a second or two before dropping arms and stepping back. Awkward, but sort of perfect for the mismatched shape of us, which was, if nothing else, our own. Are you going to be okay? he asked, without spite this time. I didn't know how to answer, because despite these tidy revelations, the thought of never seeing him again still stabbed at something deep inside me, and maybe always would and the idea that anyone in this or any world would ever know me as well as he did seemed impossible. But I nodded. Eventually, maybe, it would be true. How about you? He grinned. I don't plan to spend a couple decades sulking down here like that asshole, if that's what you mean. He looked up at the arched roof above us, scanning the bricks like there might be constellations in them. I've never known what I wanted, man. Just what everybody else wants me to want. I'm sorry I mixed you up and all that. He shrugged lightly. Guess I should figure that out, yeah? Spend some time with myself. Maybe more solo camping, you know? Wandering in the wilderness? Worked for Jesus. Sure, I said. You see that wolf again up there, man? You fucking wreck it. 
We grinned at each other, one last time, or maybe for the first time, depending on how you looked at it. And then I turned away, toward the submerged portal, the way out, the way home. I stared down at it. The thought of swimming into that hole without knowing the way to the other side stabbed a different part of me, the one concerned with oxygen and continued existence. I pushed the fear down, but it kept manufacturing images for me. Jeans snagging on hidden nails that held me back while I flailed uselessly. Huge dead fish swimming the flooded halls with flaking gray skin, bulging eyes growing larger and larger as they closed on me. I imagined drowning, breathing water instead of air, spasms of lungs, knowing you were about to die only not soon enough, not nearly soon enough. I took a deep breath, then another. I tried to slow my heartbeat. I didn't look at Nico. Another breath, breathe, deeper and deeper. I stared at the circular opening, visualized the motions I'd make. I tried to believe I could do this. I tried to push down the sliver of doubt lodged somewhere in my throat. Gripping the sides of the hatch, I paused. I wasn't ready, but if I waited any longer, I'd never be. Later, skater, I said, not looking back, then took one last huge breath and dove headfirst into the hatch. I hope you're enjoying this audio version of Subcutanean, but this is just one way the story could go. Find out how to get your own unique version by searching for Subcutanean on Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, or Indiegogo. And thanks for listening. <laughs>